Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We're especially glad to have you. I've got two special guests that are here today, Bruce and Edie Hurley, and uh, I've told you before that my name is Drew because I had a friend growing up who we were about the same age who his name was Andrew, and his mom said, well, my son's name is Andrew, so I'm not going to call you Andrew. And everyone called him Andy. And so I got Drew because of Bruce and Edie Hurley. And their, their youngest son named uh, Andy is what we always called him growing up. But I spent half my childhood at my house and half my childhood at the Hurley's house. And uh, that's where I was introduced to Schwann's cookie dough. Um, that's where I learned that it's not polite to slurp your spaghetti. I specifically remember that one time having spaghetti and like slurping it up and Bruce being like, that's not exactly table polite. And, okay, I didn't know that. I also remember, do any of y'all know the soda that's called Squirt? It's like Sprite, but it's kind of yeah, grapefruit. Yeah, learned about Squirt at the Hurley's house. And so anyway, really glad to have them here. We're starting a new series today, and before I explain the series, I want you to think about this question. Do you sometimes feel like you know what someone needs more than they know what they need? I know sometimes you might know someone better than you know yourself, or better than they know they, themselves, and you think, I, I think I know what they need more than they do. I think about Catherine, and probably all moms are like this, but when the, the kids are real little and they're crying, a cry can mean many things. It can mean tired, irritated, sick, hungry. And I don't know the differences, but Catherine can hear the differences. Like, oh, no, that's a, she's just tired. That's a tired cry. Or, oh, no, no, that's a hungry cry. She knows what they actually need. Also, I think we can think of times where people will be going through a situation and we hear them say, man, I just really need blank, or I really need to... And you know deep down that you think if you actually got that thing, that probably wouldn't necessarily resolve your situation. Or some of us maybe even know that sometimes you might, that might actually be something that's not all that good for that person to get that thing that they say they need. If I just had 10% more, I just need 10% more income, then we'd be good. What you might actually need is to stop getting on Amazon after 11 p.m. You know what I mean? Uh, or you might say, I just need to get this job. Then it will all work out. And, and we might realize, well, maybe every time you go to a different circumstance, if the thing keeps following you, maybe you're the dependent variable in these situations, right? I often... I've heard this before where sometimes uh, someone might date and have bad dating experiences where it's like, man, that person was a train wreck. That person was a train wreck. That person was a train wreck. Why can't I date a normal good person? It's like, well, have you noticed you are a part of all three of those situations? You might be a factor. You might not need for a better boyfriend or a better girlfriend. You might need to do some work. Okay, so... I think the truth is, and I can joke about all this, but I'm just as guilty as all of us of saying that I sometimes think I know better what other people need, but I am very guilty of thinking I know exactly what I need, though. No one needs to tell me what I need because I'm fully self-aware about what I need. And, and we know that that's often not the case. So this series that we're going to be starting today 
And it's something where for the first two and a half, three years, almost three years of me being here, I've primarily done series that are very textual. We went through John for forever. We went through Colossians for a while. We went through Proverbs for a little while. We went through Ruth for a little while. We went through Romans for a really long time. Can I get an amen? No. But, uh, you know, we, we did these long textual series. And I haven't really done too many topic stuff. Uh, but, you know, I, I noticed last year a few different times where I kept thinking, this church, we really do pride ourselves on being a church that prays quite a bit. And so let's maybe talk about prayer. I think if, if you've been a part of our Sunday morning class or our Wednesday night class, we spend a good 15 to 20 minutes sometimes at the start of every class praying for people in our congregation or our community. That's how we start. We spend a lot of our energy on prayer. I also have had some instances since living here where I've heard comments, and they might have come out of my own mouth, or they might have been from someone else, where we'll say something about prayer where a little part of me in my heart thinks, I don't know if they quite look at prayer the way I would love, I would like for them to look at prayer. One instance in particular, I remember texting a church member and saying, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying with you and I'm praying for you. And their response was, thanks, Drew. I really appreciate it. Please keep praying because mine aren't working. And I know that that might have been tongue in cheek. I know that that might have been uh, just kind of a frustrated moment. And I, I'm sure you and I have had moments where, of thinking my prayers aren't working. Um, but I also remember thinking to myself, maybe they do actually believe that there's something that they're doing that's the reason why their prayers aren't working out the way that they want. And so for me, I, I really wanted to do this series because I, and my hope is, I tried to kind of go through Genesis through Revelation and look at any instance where we see someone praying or talking about prayer. And we're not going to cover every one, but we're going to cover a lot of them. And my hope is, is that we're going to be like chefs in the kitchen. And we're going to look at this story about prayer, and we're going to take the good things that the point that's trying to be made about prayer here, we're going to add it to the recipe. And we're going to go to another part. We're going to see Jesus' prayer in John, where he prays for his disciples and prays for future Christians. And we're going to add that to the recipe. And we're going to try our best to take the Psalms and the prayers of lament and thanksgiving, and let's add that to the, to the recipe. And let's see what kind of cake we get out of it, okay? So this first one... Uh, oh, wait, i got to say this first. I want to invite you also. I'm going to try and do this during this series. I know the series will for sure go to at least Easter. It might go a little past Easter. But I know that there is no amount of preaching or teaching on prayer that will substitute praying. So I'm going to try my best, and I'd like to invite you to start your day with prayer and end your day with prayer during this whole series. Because I could get up here and I could teach a class on how to ride a bicycle. And it could probably be helpful. Don't forget your helmet. Uh, if you're a little kid. I mean, actually, you should all, all, all wear a helmet, probably. I think I grew up not wearing a helmet. But wear a helmet. Put on elbow pads and knee pads. Let's, let's talk through the mechanics. Your legs are going to go like this. But you and I know you're never going to learn how to ride a bicycle until what? You go out there and someone's behind you, walking with you, pushing you. You're going to fall some. And this is, I hope, the same thing. Yes, I hope every Sunday you're, you're able to hear something that you can take into your prayer life. But none of it will be a substitute. A hundred sermons will not substitute ten minutes of you trying to consciously pray. So I invite you, in the morning and at evening, whether by yourself or with your spouse or, or with a friend, try to pray while we go through this series. I'd love it. And I'd love to hear your stories about it. I'd love to hear if... If you're like, oh great, Drew's finally doing a prayer sermon, I've got to ask him this question. Email me or, or write an anonymous letter. Put it under my, my office and I'll try to talk about it during this series. So 
We're going to start in the perfect place to start, which is Jesus' most direct teaching on prayer, where he actually says, let me tell you about praying. And that is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Uh, There's a huge underlying message throughout the Sermon on the Mount that is God and Jesus' desire for our hearts to be in the right place. He says, you have heard that it was said in the law, do not murder. But I tell you, don't hate your brother. Where is your heart in the situation? Yeah, you might think you're a very good person because you've never murdered anybody. But have you ever had hate in your heart? I know I've had hate in my heart every time the Cowboys play the Eagles. I'm just kidding. Okay. But seriously, if you have hate in your heart, that's an example of where is your heart, okay? He says, yes, you might be someone that gives to the poor, but are you doing it so that people notice you giving to the poor? Because if you're doing that, then you're kind of, you know, your heart is not in the right place. So with that in mind, one of my deep desires for this series is maybe for us to focus less on the mechanics of prayer. I'm so thankful that Landry, Joe, and Marshall have teachers that say, okay, y'all, we're going to pray. Take your hands like this. Close your eyes. And it's so cute, you know, at nighttime, before bed. All right, Marshall, we're going to pray. <laughs> it's so sweet. And I'm so thankful for that. But I do know this series, I'm hoping, is a lot less about our mechanics and a whole lot more about our heart. And the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. You're in for a treat, too. This is another two-slide scripture sermon, so it's, you're not going to be having to do a whole lot of sleeping today. But uh, starting in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So the first, I'm going to kind of have multiple points throughout this. The first point, which I've already kind of hinted at, is what is the intent of your heart? Jesus has already mentioned in his Sermon on the Mount how frustrated he is by religious people who care more about outward actions, showing their outward spiritualness rather than the inwardness of their their inner purpose, their intent of what they're trying to do. And so we see whenever, if, if we go back for a second, he says, these hypocrites, they're not, he doesn't mean hypocrite like what we often mean. When we say hypocrite, we mean, well, you said this and you did something else. Here, we can see from context, the word hypocrite means more, you did something and that looked great, but you did it for the wrong reasons. You did it with your heart in the wrong place. And I love this part where he says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He's saying, someone who goes out into the synagogue and on the street and says these big prayers and people look at them and go, wow, they are super spiritual they are going to receive their reward because what were they looking for? Their heart was looking for people to say, man, that person is religious and spiritual. And guess what? They got it. They got their reward in full. That's what they wanted. Their heart got it. But on the other hand, you have people who are going into their room, closing the door, praying to God who their reward that they're looking for is for having a relationship and an attention from God. So, The first question I think that's worth asking uh, after what is the intent of your heart, and this is something I have to look inwardly at and I struggle with all the time too, is there any part of my spiritual life where I'm trying to gain attention from others? I think this could apply to a whole lot more than prayer. Am I the person that's posting, making a post on Facebook with all these Bible verses so that people think, wow, that person's really on fire for Jesus? 
You might be doing it because you're trying to bless people. That's great. You might be doing it to get attention. Am I someone that I'm going to make sure I put out very Christmas, Jesus-themed Christmas decorations, not Santa decorations because I'm spiritual, or I'm not putting out any Christmas decorations because I'm spiritual. I don't think there's anything wrong with whatever you decide to do, but where is your heart in that? And now more focused on the context of prayer, I think I, using this question of times where I've tried to give get um, attention for my spiritual life, I can think of times, even to this day, where I've been guilty of trying to sound extra wise in my prayers, trying to sound extra holy, trying to use words that sound more like the KJV, you know, so that people think I'm really deep, I'm really spiritual. I, I, I'm saying this more to impress the people in the church building. And guess what? I know some people that have beautiful, eloquent, amazing prayers. Am I telling them to stop doing that? No. What I'm telling them is to ask themselves, am I doing that because I want people to go, that person should be a deacon, or you know, that person is great, they should teach class, they're so deep. Or am I doing it because I'm trying to talk to God? Am I trying to say something beautiful to God? I think I've also been guilty. I remember when I was in high school, you know, we'd run through the big, in football team, we'd run through the big sign, we'd run to the end zone, and we'd all get on a knee, and I would always lead the prayer. And I'm sure my ego took a huge boost. Look at me, this spiritual leader of the football team. Is it wrong for me to want our football team to pray? No. That's a great thing. But is it because I'm really hoping that I look like the Eagle Scout of Jesus on the football team? If that's the case, then that's a problem. Then my heart isn't in the right place. Now, a fair question to ask, I was talking with my brother-in-law about this a few days ago, is in today's culture, would it be all that bad for one of my coworkers or for one of my friends to see me praying and to, as a sort of outreach, as a sort of evangelism, would that be bad for people to see me praying? No, not at all. Jesus is very clear that he's not against public prayer. He prays in public numerous times. He's not against that. What he is against is against doing it for show. So let's say, for example, if I'm at a restaurant and Catherine and I and the kids and our family, we say, hey, let's pray before we eat. Does that have the opportunity to be a beautiful evangelism to the staff and the people there? Yes. By the way, it also has a huge opportunity to be bad for Jesus when you leave a bad tip and when you're rude to the waitress. If they see you praying and then they come by and you're like, this is cold. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, well, those Christians are jerks. You with me? Okay. But if I'm doing it because I'm here at Johnny's and I'm like, oh, I'm the preacher at Clifton Church of Christ. I better make sure that everybody sees me pray because they need to see that I'm really religious. Then my heart is in the wrong place. I think you're getting all my analogies. You're seeing it. No way do I think public prayer is bad. But the question is, what are the things that I'm doing in my spiritual life, in my prayer life, where, and, and this is how I think you can ask this question in kind of a summary time, kind of way. Are you praying for God's attention? Or are you praying for people's attention? I do look at the picture of a person who is sitting by their bedside. I've said before, I have memories of waking up, seeing my dad beside his bed after he gets up, saying prayers. That He's not doing it because he's trying to impress me. I, I would always, that was always me walking in and seeing him on accident. But I love the idea of a person sitting there hoping to give their attention to God, hoping that God will give his attention to them in this modest, humble posture. And I, I believe that a beautiful thing about prayer is that we get to pray for each other. So let me say this. We get to pray for each other, but no one can give your attention to God in prayer except you. Let me say that again. We can pray for each other, 
But no one can give your attention to God in prayer except you. Your prayer life is between you and God. So let's keep reading from the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, I'm not going to get into the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. That's going to be next Sunday. So if you're looking forward to that, come back next Sunday. And when you pray, starting in verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, let's get some context real quick. When it says, what is He talking about with the pagans? Is Jesus this babbling like the pagans? Is Jesus saying, okay, folks, let's keep our prayers extra short and snappy? Uh, I don't think so. When I was a kid, I, I had to tell this story. When I was a kid, there was an elder at the Belton Church of Christ named Weldon Fritz. Do you remember Weldon? Yeah. His wife was my English teacher, I think, in ninth grade. And Weldon had this thing where he would say Father a lot in his prayers. Father, we just... Father, we thank you, Father. And uh, me and, and uh, Sarah Grovender, my good friend, uh, we would always count the fathers. Okay? So I would be on this side of the auditorium. She was on that side of the auditorium. And we'd sit there and we'd go, one, two, three. And then after he'd finish, we'd always look over each other and we'd try and mouth like how many fathers we counted. Okay? And I think the record was 26 fathers. So I think maybe Jesus, at that time I would have heard this and I would have said, you know what? Mr. Fritz, I think Jesus is talking to you here when he says, don't keep on babbling, going on and on. But what I will say for context is that what Jesus means when he says, don't pray like the pagans, for they like to babble, this is the context of it. Pagans back then, they believed that their prayer was more likely to be answered based on like an incantation or a spell. If you said the right words in the right cadence, in the right order, with the right tone, it would increase your chances. For any of you Harry Potter fan fans out there, it's Leviosa, not Leviosa, right? There's a line from the movie where he, she's saying, well, the reason why your spell isn't working is because you're not saying it just right at the end. This is what the pagans believed. A pagan prayer would be something where they would constantly try to make sure they had the right inflection, the right thing, because they believed that was the secret to whether or not God would answer their prayers. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't be like the pagans. Don't think that the difference between your prayer being heard by God or not is your tone of voice, your holy vocabulary, your repetition. It's, that isn't going to make any difference. And yet, I would argue that some of us probably growing up did think that that made a difference. Nod your head if you agree with me. Like if you watch the people who did pray, you probably thought, oh, that guy is so good at praying. Like he always gets his prayers heard. Did you hear the way he was like, dear God, thank you. You know, his tone was so holy. He must have his prayers heard. And yet, I think the point of what Jesus was saying is that doesn't have anything to do with it. And then he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. I think a fair question that you could ask from this is, if God knows what I need before I ask him, why do I even need to pray to him? And I think this is a tough question. It's something that we should reflect on constantly. If God knows what I need before I even ask, what's the point of asking? And here's how I'm going to choose to answer that question. I'm not going to have some groundbreaking answer. More, this is the thing that sticks out to me. The fact that Jesus is teaching us that even if God knows what you need, He still wants us to pray. We still pray even though God knows already what we need. If I were to ask Jesus, Jesus, why do I still need to pray? He probably would have a better answer than me. But the message I see is He doesn't say, God knows what you need before you ask, so you don't even have to ask. 
He still tells them, I still want you to be praying. He is going to follow this up by saying, this then is how you should pray. Um, so this is my favorite point. My favorite point and the last point is, Jesus didn't say in this last part, he didn't say, God knows what you're going to ask for, even though he probably does. Jesus didn't say, God knows what you're going to say before you say it. What he says is, God knows what you need. So, the last point, the thing, if you're a note taker, the last thing that I, I would say is my biggest takeaway from preparing for this lesson is, who knows my needs better, me or God? Because there at the end, he doesn't say, God knows what you want, God knows what you're going to ask for, what you're going to say. And it goes back to that thing I said at the very beginning of the sermon. There are times where people in our life, we think we know what we need. And... I, I feel like I'm probably really good at knowing what I need. But if I'm being honest, I realize that there are often things that I don't know what I need. To, use, to riff off of Colton's communion talk, there are plenty of times where we think, oh, I really need that. And then that thing happens and it didn't, it didn't necessarily lead to good, but we thought we needed it. Or something terrible happens and we think, that's the last thing I needed. But, you know, at the end of it, we realize, hey, that's actually something that maybe came in and, and helped me out a lot. I do not think that God rolls his eyes at us or shakes his head when we list out every single little thing to him in our prayers. I think he's too loving of a God to do that. Just like a good father, if Landry Joe comes up to me and lists out all these things, when I'm in a good place or when I'm in a bad place, I might be like, come on, let's, let's move this along. But if I'm in a good father posture, I'm thankful that she's talking with me. So I don't ever think he rolls his eyes at us when we list out everything. But I do think that with this message, Jesus is trying to tell us to kind of trust, hey, I know what you need, no matter what words you're saying to me. And, and despite how often I think I know everything, I know that God knows my needs better than I do. I've had a couple times in my ministry, whether it was youth ministry or, or here, where I've had people come share with me about something that's very heavy on their heart. And I hope, I hope you all know that you can do this at any time. There's something that's really heavy on their heart. And they'll talk to me about how there's this missing piece, okay? So I'm going to try and illustrate. They're like, this is my life. Here is this missing piece. And they are praying desperately to God to resolve that piece. And, and peace with an I, not an EA. Okay, that, that missing peace. God, I want that resolution. And, and they're telling me how their prayer isn't helping. It isn't doing anything. And sometimes I have to tell them. I have to say, I'm not God. I don't know. But what if, what if God knows that what you need is not that peace? What if God knows that by giving you that peace, you might become less dependent on God? What if knows that God knows that that thing that you were desperately wanting in your life has become a vice for you and that to give you that vice would not be a good thing? Does that, does that make sense? Picture a time in your life where you thought, if I just had this, I would be fine. Can you imagine God maybe thinking, I would rather you learn how to trust me so much and be so dependent on me that if you didn't have that peace, you would still be whole and you would be fine. Maybe that's how God is trying to answer what you really need. I'll use my friend Ricky as an exa example. He was at Katie. He was a 41-year-old guy, single, desperately wanted to date. And he was, wanted, to, wanted to be married. He wanted so bad to be married. And I remember him telling me, I'm sick of Christians telling me that the second I don't want to get married, that's when I'm going to find the woman. And I said, I hope, I hope they stop saying that to you because that's not, uh, not wise. But here's what I told him. I said, Ricky, I never pray that you find the woman. Because that's what you want me to pray for. You think that missing piece is if I get that wife, 
my prayer for you is, is that you will become a person that can love God and love your life even if that never comes. Now, he didn't like me saying that, but that's an example of me trying to say, I think what you need is wholeness in Christ outside of whatever consequences come into your life. And so imagine that you've got that thing. And that's an example, in my opinion, of, of a way in which we can often come to God. And I'm so thankful that when we come to God in prayer, He knows my needs better than I do. And I hope I can trust, as I'm praying the way Jesus is telling me to pray, that I can just trust, you know what, I'm so thankful I have a God who knows my needs better than me. So to, to end, I'm just going to kind of take all the points and I'm going to summarize kind of three of the big ones and then we'll be done. First reminder from the sermon, when you pray, where is your heart in your prayer? Because I've been preparing for this sermon, as I was sitting in there where normally the few of us pray before we start this this. Uh, sometimes I'm very guilty of being in there and my heart is thinking, I haven't said hi to that visitor yet. Oh, I don't know if my class went very good. Should I have responded like that very good? Oh, man, I hope that the, the live stream is working and the Wi-Fi. That's where my heart and my mind are. And today I tried really hard not to do that. Also, sometimes when I pray, I'm checked out and my words are the thing that I've kind of just practiced over and over. I'm saying, you know, I'm saying guide, guard, and direct us. Not because that's bad to say that, but that's because that's become rote to me. And instead, I tried my best in there to go, Drew, what's really on your heart? I tried to pray that. So when you pray, where's your heart? Number two, when you think prayer feels pointless because God already, already knows, still pray. And then number three, which I just finished saying a few seconds ago, isn't it wonderful news that my prayers are not dependent on my ability to perform prayer right or know my needs well enough, but it is on God knowing what I need. And I think that's a great place to end because that's kind of the message of the whole Bible and the message of everything we do with faith. Isn't it great news that my faith, that my salvation, that my walk with God is not dependent on my performance, not dependent on what I think I need, but on God performing, on God, on Jesus dying on the cross, rising for us, and us getting to just join in Him and what He's doing and knowing that He knows better than me what I need. If any of you have any prayer requests, the elders are going to be standing at the doors, and I'd encourage you to go talk to them or come talk to me if you have anything you'd like to pray about while we stand, while we sing this song.